Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 9 What's your name? the general asked. Tracy, she answered and I wanted more than anything to look away, but I was too scared of the uncertainty. I had to watch. He asked if she had children. That's how I knew about her two kids, even before I saw their family photo in the news. Would you like to see your children again? General asked. Tracy nodded, and in that moment, she stopped being a flight attendant. She stopped being an airline employee. This was a woman, a fellow human being, a mother with children she loved, with teeth that rattled, with a voice that cracked as she answered General's questions. She could have been any of us. She could have been me. General wanted to make sure all the cameras were still rolling, that we were all streaming our images and footage to the news-frenzied masses down on solid ground wanted to be sure that everybody knew the exact reason for this woman's death. It's the superintendent's fault, he said. He now has two orphans on his conscience. And he pulled the trigger. I don't remember screaming, but I'm sure I must have. Everyone did. Because even though we saw the gun, even though we identified the crazed rage in General's eyes, We couldn't bring ourselves to believe he would actually do it, that he would actually kill that flight attendant. You have five more minutes, Mr. Superintendent, General told the cameras. Five minutes until what? Another one of us died? If you haven't been in a cabin full of terrified passengers and a man bent on terrorizing you all, you maybe would expect me to behave differently to think differently. I already told you I wasn't a Christian at this point in my life, but I'd lived with one for over a year and kind of knew the basic tenets. Love your neighbors, pray daily, ask Jesus to forgive your sins. And maybe you'll expect me to jump in now and say that's just what I did, dropped to my knees, told God I was a sinner, all that jazz. But while General was waving around his gun and pacing up and down the aisles, I wasn't thinking about God or heaven or my sins or my need of a savior. Do you know what I was thinking? That the dead woman lying crumpled in the aisle could have been me. And that in order to survive, I needed to make myself far more inconspicuous than how I normally appear. For the first time in my life, I cursed my obsession with dyeing my hair. Who would want to stand out in a situation like this? But stand out, I did. And when General's five-minute timer buzzed, his eyes locked onto mine, and he strode deliberately toward the back of the cabin, 
and stopped right in front of me. Chapter 10 Stand up, he told me, and I obeyed because apparently that's what your body does when someone's waving a gun at you. Someone who's just shot another woman not ten feet away from where you are. I stood up. Come here, he told me. So I did. What's your name? It's funny because as he was asking me all these questions, I could only think about one thing. Kennedy will be traumatized if she has to watch me die. Of course, any and every one of us on that flight were already traumatized. You don't have to know a murder victim to feel terrified in a situation like this. But my mind was on Kennedy, on how goody-goody she always was, and look where it got her, on a doomed flight forced to watch while her blue-haired roommate got executed. General was still talking to the video cameras, going on and on about how none of this was his fault, how he didn't want to hurt anybody, but this was the only way he could get the people of Detroit to take him seriously. And I think I prayed. I say I think I prayed because it wasn't anything formal. It didn't start with, Dear Jesus, and end with, Amen. In fact, if I had to relive that moment in pristine detail, I'm pretty sure my prayer only consisted of one single word. Please. You don't want to die, do you? General asked me. I assume I shook my head or gave him some sort of response because he frowned as if he actually felt sorry for me. He let out his breath. I wish I didn't have to kill you. Somehow, as I stared at the tip of his gun pointed straight at me, I had a hard time believing him. Your hair's blue, he told me, as if I might not have realized. I know. You some kind of punk girl? General asked. No. And unless you've had a conversation with a terrorist holding a gun at you with dozens of cameras recording your upcoming execution, you have no right to tell me that hair color is a strange topic of conversation when you're about to literally get blown to hell. To me, it felt just as natural as standing there waiting to die. You know those dyes have chemicals in them, he told me. I only use all natural. Looking back, I too can see the absurdity of the conversation. But when I mentioned all natural, he locked eyes with me. And for a second, I saw a man and not my own executioner. Then the moment passed. I'm sorry about what I have to do, he said, except he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the cameras. The cameras all pointed at me, waiting to record my death. I hoped my parents weren't watching. When I relive this event, why I tried to get to that state where I can recreate the moment when General decided it was time to pull the trigger, I picture a lot of different plausible scenarios all of which result in my survival. Of course, there's Math Babe rushing up from behind, tackling my assailant and saving the day. I'm a self-proclaimed pacifist, but more often than not, this scenario ends with Raoul, a.k.a. Math Babe, shooting General square in the head. 
Often I stick around to watch an epilogue, and sometimes it involves a doctor jumping up and declaring Tracy, the slain flight attendant, was still alive, thank God, and sometimes it involves Raoul and me walking hand in hand beneath a gorgeous Detroit sunset after a lovely evening of tapas. One of my personal favorites is when I stretch out my hand, and with some super-skilled ninja moves, I disarm my would-be assailant to the sound of thunderous applause from the rest of the cabin. I never actually kill General in this particular daydream of mine, but I like to remind him that I'd be well within my rights if I did. We land in Detroit, and an army of hot 20- and 30-year-old SWAT men in super-tight combat gear showing off each and every one of their well-defined muscles barges in, congratulates me on saving the flight, and holds a celebration on the ground that more often than not involves more tapas. But it's only in my daydreams where I'm saved by myself, a handsome math teacher whose name is possibly Raoul or a couple dozen swap men. The true story is that I was saved by a little old granny lady with a head of white hair and enough courage to put all the heroes of the Bible combined to shame. Chapter 11 General had just apologized to the cameras, regretting that he had to shoot me, when this little old lady stood up and told him, Put that gun down, Sonny. And it wasn't so much that she dared to talk back to General, who probably weighed three times as much as she did, but it was the boldness with which she addressed him that seemed to tilt the entire axis of power in the cabin. General gave a little chuckle, but I could tell by his face he was thrown off. Who are you? he demanded, and she smiled at him sweetly and answered, You can call me Grandma Lucy, and I'm here to save this young woman's life. I'd never been at the wrong end of a handgun before, and I'd certainly never witnessed some 90-year-old grandma try to talk down a raving terrorist, but sometimes truth really is stranger than fiction. If you need a hostage, Grandma Lucy said, her voice as calm and patient as if she'd been discussing the roses in her garden, why don't you take me instead? I hadn't expected General to look even more thrown off than he already did, but his expression at Grandma Lucy's words proved me wrong. If you shoot me, Grandma Lucy explained, as if she were reciting Bible stories to a class of first graders, you will still get your point across, and you won't have to worry about murdering someone so young and scared. As for me, I've been ready to see my Jesus for the past fifty years. She stood squarely between me and the gun, stuck out her chest, and waited. I'd like to tell you about how I came to my senses, realized how selfish it would be to let this tiny four-foot-tall grandma take a bullet for me, but I was too stunned. I couldn't move, couldn't think, couldn't talk. Surprisingly, Grandma Lucy suffered from none of these problems. But before you kill me, she began, there's something I'd like to tell you, something your audience might be interested in hearing. He sneered at her. Yeah, what's that? I could tell he was growing impatient. 
Grandma Lucy's voice rose in both volume and conviction. That Jesus Christ is the risen Savior of the world. He is my shepherd, my redeemer, my healer, and my coming king. If you kill me, my soul will leave this broken jar of clay and enter into the presence of God. And since you're doing me such a great honor, I want to return the favor. What was going on? Was she just stalling? And how in the world was it working? Who was this old white-haired lady? Was she a martyr, some kind of miracle worker, or was she just insane? And then, believe it or not, did I mention before that truth is stranger than fiction? This Grandma Lucy lady stretched out her hand, raised it to General's forehead. I'm surprised she could actually reach that high. And she started to pray for him. After everything happened, once the plane crash-landed and we all got evacuated, I looked for Grandma Lucy. Nobody was supposed to leave triage. Once we got our injuries taken care of, we had to answer all kinds of questions from the authorities. But nobody knew where Grandma Lucy went. I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but I'll just go ahead and come right out and say it. Sometimes I've wondered if she was really some sort of angel sent to distract General, because while she was praying and General was focused on her, Raoul, remember Math Babe? and a couple other passengers managed to rush him from behind. I swore to the feds doing the interviews later that I heard the gun go off, but apparently my mind must be filling in blanks because nobody else recalls anything like that, and there were no stray bullets anywhere in the cabin. Go figure. It just goes to show that I really can't trust my memory at this point in the story, because... What I remember most vividly is a gunshot, a whole bunch of screams, and a scuffle that was over before I even realized I was still alive. General was subdued. The captain came on and assured us we were just a few minutes away from landing. The nightmare was over. That's what we all wanted to believe, at least. But really, the terror was just beginning. Chapter 12 You ever known one of those people who just always seems to have bad luck? Or maybe now that I'm a Christian I shouldn't attribute it to luck, but I think you probably get what I'm saying. People who have one bad thing happen to them after another until you want to scream to the universe on their behalf, haven't they been through enough? I've met quite a few people like that in my day. Kennedy's one of them, actually. It seems like at least once a semester she's getting into some kind of terrible trouble or danger. For being the kid of such a safety-paranoid father, she sure has managed to find herself at the wrong place at the wrong time more often than I would care to count. Well, that's how I'm guessing we all felt on the plane, after Raoul and a few other brawny passengers managed to get General and his Hawaiian-shirted partner subdued. You'd think by that point, with the hijackers bound and the plane just minutes away from touching down, we could start to let out our breaths. Thank God, or the universe, or luck, or whatever, that we were safe. 
except we weren't. Because General and Hawaiian Shirt weren't exactly working alone. And that dude who kept making a nuisance of himself in the back lavatories all through the flight was a Detroit electrician with just enough skill to know how to cause some major damage. This is another case where memories fail, because I'm certain the shouting came first, but others insisted it started with the fire alarm going off. Either way, the back of the cabin was on fire. Smoke began pouring out of the lavatories. While General had been marching around the cabin with that gun of his, the passengers had remained eerily silent. Now, all that terror we'd been bottling up snapped, and it was complete chaos. I heard later that the paramedics had to treat more people for injuries related to trampling than smoke inhalation. It was madness, madness and unceasing terror as everyone raced to the front of the cabin. I would have joined them, I tried to join them, but someone knocked me down from behind. I have no idea who it was. By this point, the smoke had grown so dense so quickly I could scarcely see anything. I was relying entirely on feel. And then I stumbled. A woman's high heels stomped on my hand. I cried out, but there was no way to hear anything over the screams of the passengers and the drone of the fire alarm. Get up, I told myself. You didn't survive a near execution just to get yourself trampled to death when you're only a few minutes short of landing. Get up! Except I couldn't. There were too many people, too many bodies. I couldn't stand, couldn't breathe. Someone stepped on my back. No more air in my lungs. I couldn't even cough out the smoke I'd just inhaled. And that's when I knew it had happened. My luck had finally run out. I really was going to die. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Sky series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Sky series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.